Have you ever heard of a starling murmuration? Now, don't feel bad if you haven't. It's a fancy biology term for a gathering of starlings, the little black birds that like to hang out and make a nuisance of themselves around bird feeders. While technically any gathering of these birds can be called a murmuration because of the noise that they make when they get together, it's more commonly applied to this amazing thing that they do together. Some videos showing this have gone viral in recent years, and they're just incredible things to watch. There will be this giant flock of birds that come together in this cloud, which then bends and turns and makes little bubbles. And it's all being done by hundreds of birds, all turning and changing direction and altering speed like a choreographed ballet. They don't get confused. They don't run into each other. They just do it. Now, scientists say it's a behavior that they do usually when there are hawks around, or more precisely, when a flock has spotted a peregrine falcon. Now, forming a huge shifting blob of hundreds of birds makes it harder for any one bird to be eaten. Now, what I can't get over, though, is the idea that all of these birds are doing this at once, with no planning, no discussion, no verbal communication. They just do it. They look as if one mind is directing and controlling them. Now, that's unity. That's being of the same mind. As much as Jesus loved to take parables from nature and from things the farmers of Galilee would see in their fields, I'm almost surprised that he didn't tell a parable about starlings when he started talking about unity. It really would have been perfect. But no, we don't get any starlings this morning. What we do get instead is the end of a long prayer of Jesus as he prays for the disciples at the Last Supper shortly before his arrest. And the focus here is on unity and love, two things that by the end of the passage are just two sides of the same coin, unity and love. Jesus prays for a unified community of believers. Just as he and the Father and the Spirit are one, he wants the disciples, and not just the disciples, but those who will believe in me through their word, to be one. And so that's us. That's all the Christians there are. The disciples then, us now, and everybody who comes in between. Along with everybody who will come along in the future. And that's a whole lot of people to be in oneness with. We Christians have wrestled with this verse and with this part of the prayer of Jesus for a long time. One of the major movements of the last few centuries has been the ecumenical movement, where various Christian denominations have prayed and sought ways to live more deeply into the words of this prayer. We have sought ways of working together and joining together so that we can truly live out what it is that Jesus asks for. And it's not been easy. It doesn't always go well. Although we really try to make it work, it just keeps not happening. Now, a major reason for this is doctrinal differences. We believe different things about God and Jesus and how they relate to each other and how we relate to them. A Baptist and I are going to find quite a number of things that we disagree on, especially if we start talking about the sacraments or the Virgin Mary. 
Now, I cannot imagine Pastor Ben, who led the conservative Presbyterian church that I grew up in, sitting down and agreeing with Father Bob, a Roman Catholic Jesuit I worked with at the hospital, and neither one would be happy at all at the idea of receiving Eucharist from me. The reality of the situation is that the church lives with many divisions. In our gospel, Jesus hopes and pray that we will be one so that the watching world will recognize the close union between the church and Jesus and the Father and will be drawn back into reconciliation with God in this way. Well, it isn't happening now, but it wasn't happening then either. The fourth chapter of Acts tells us how the new Christian community were of one heart and soul. But just as soon as it says that, things start going badly. Ananias and Sapphira start by withholding their pledge in chapter 6. Then cultural tensions start to rise in chapter 7. And then ethnic tensions rose to the surface. If you read all of Acts and the New Testament letters, you'll realize that this is nothing new. Paul's letters are the earliest Christian documents we have, and they're already fighting in them. So what can this prayer mean? What is the unity that Jesus calls us to? Is this even something that we can achieve? And if not, why did Jesus even pray for it in the first place? Well, two things. First, what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to be united? As we move towards the next presidential election, and we're already hearing on TV um, and comment sections of the news sites, we hear that America is deeply divided. That's nothing new, we all know that here. But there are so many things that we don't agree on. It makes me anxious just listening to all of this posturing and campaign rhetoric. But the more I reflect on it, the more I come to realize that having the same mind is not the same as having the same thoughts. Now think about it for a moment. Don't just think about the starlings, think about a flock of birds that's perhaps closer to home, certainly closer to my home. Do you think that when they take the field, the ravens care who the guy next to them is going to vote for in the upcoming election? No, they're focused on executing the plays. They're focused on working together like a well-oiled machine, partly because they know what will happen to their season if and the playoff hopes if they don't. They don't care who the next guy is going to vote for. They care if he's ready to play football and to move with the team to accomplish what the team is after, to execute on the core principles. And that's precisely where we need to find our unity too. We don't all have to think the same things to be sharing what Jesus is talking about. Because at the end of the day, actually at the end of today's passage, He's talking about love, and that's the core principle here. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is what it's really about. We don't have to think the same thoughts to be of the same mind in the way that Jesus is talking about. Instead, our unity comes from a shared purpose, a core principle, love. Acting with love, living out an attitude of love. Living like love is important and powerful, which it is. And so that's the first thing. Jesus prays for unity and for love because that's what our unity is grounded in. 
It's based in love and in living out love. It's a secondary matter if the Baptist and I don't agree on the Virgin Mary. It matters if we're willing to join forces to make the world a better place, a more loving place. We Christians grow in strength as we share unity of purpose and strive to love God and neighbor as best we can together. And yes, we will do some disagreeing about what that looks like best, but more important is that we agree that it is worth doing and worth doing together. Now here's the second thing. When scientists studied starlings and their murmurations, they asked a pretty basic question. How do they do it? It looks like one mind is controlling them all, hundreds of birds at once. So how does it happen? What's the mechanism that makes this crazy bird cloud possible? And what they found was fascinating. A team of scientists that conducted studies on different factors discovered there wasn't some big secret behind it. Instead, the birds were watching each other. Here's the key. The way a bird move affected seven birds around it. So if one bird changed direction or speed, seven birds around it would do the same thing. And then each of those birds would trigger seven other birds to do the same thing, and so on. That's how these amazing quick patterns form and change. Each single bird affects the seven that are closest to it. I can't help thinking that there's a parable hidden somewhere in this for us, too. Maybe we can be more like starlings than we think. Perhaps if we take the risks, if we love as God loves, if we love the way Jesus showed us, perhaps we can influence the seven people who are closest to us. And maybe we can get them to change course and speed a little bit and get on board with what we're proposing. What is it that you can do? What signs of love can you show in the world? What actions can you take that can help the flock around you? How can you be an inspiration to unity and love for someone else today or this coming week? How can you be moving in a more loving direction and bringing some other folks along at the same time? Jesus calls us not just to be satisfied with what we've got, but to help him return a world back to its creator, back to the one who loves it so much he'd die for it. How can you help the flock find its way this week? Let us pray. Eternal God, forgive us those sins that separate us and look mercifully on the brokenness of the world. Draw us all to you and to one another by your love, that our restored unity may bring healing to the nations and that the life of all may glorify you. Amen.